Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Andrea Blint. She is a registered nurse, a holistic health practitioner, a six-time international best-selling author, an inspirational speaker, and a life and mindset coach. Andrea, welcome. I am so happy to have you here today. We have been trying tirelessly to get this done. So it's so nice to finally have you here and connect with you. How are you doing today? Thank you, Brad, so much for having me. I'm just grateful and honored to be here today. So thank you. The honor and the pleasure is truly all mine. So thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me today. So with all of that being said, that is a hell of a lot of hats you wear and quite an extensive resume, I must say. How on earth do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize? And just how important is prioritization and organization to you? So such a great question. Thank you for opening with that. It's a lot of hats and sometimes it can feel really overwhelming, but I truly love every single hat that I wear and have the opportunity to change into. And so that's what keeps me focused and motivated. Prioritization and organization are must-haves, knowing that I have so many things that I'm doing. And so I prioritize what truly needs to be done today. What can I delegate, which allows me to use my skill of delegation and polite ask, as well as what can I put off to a different time? It's not as important. And then where might I be procrastinating in my life? Because if I notice procrastination, then I can also hone into, well, why am I avoiding that task or wearing that hat? Is that still a hat that fits me? Do I still find pleasure doing it? And if not, maybe I choose to move away from it. And then organization is just ingrained in my DNA. So I am very organized to the best of my ability. And it truly helps me through my day. Well, we are humans and shit falls through the cracks sometimes. And that's just the way it goes. Yes. I would love to know then with you wearing so many hats, what does your morning routine look like, Andrea? Great question. So my morning routine starts with me In bed, before I even open my eyes, I give thanks for as many things that come to my head. It could be my soft sheets, my soft, cozy pillow beneath my head, the sound of my kids laughing outside in the hall, eager to greet me, just anything that jumps into my mind. And then I immediately get up and I go to the bathroom and I put ice cold water on my face just to reset my system, get the crusties out of my eyes and really wake me up. And then I take about 10 minutes to get ready. I brush my teeth, I get dressed for the day, brush my hair, and then I greet the world. And I found that when I pour in that time to myself in the morning, 
I can go out happy, grateful, and ready to serve the world without feeling disheveled and empty. That is so common as of late. I'm hearing when I'm talking to these women about that, and they have all, so many of them, I shouldn't say they all, but so many of them have stressed the importance of taking and making that time for self first and foremost before anything else to to start the day. It's that pouring into themselves and how important that is to sustain yourself throughout the day. Yes, absolutely. It really is. What drives, motivates, and inspires you to to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Andrea? Mm, My family, for one, and just seeing proof of healing and transformation everywhere I look. That's what really motivates me, sets me on fire, and keeps me moving forward in all that I do. I know that you are a registered nurse and a holistic health practitioner. And I know also from previous conversations with you that you started as a nurse and moved into holistic health. What was the inspiration to begin your career in healthcare to begin with? And how long have you worked as a registered nurse? So I've worked as a registered nurse for over 13 years. I still work as a registered nurse today. I will go in and collaborate with healthcare providers and help in their practices as needed as a concierge nurse. I jumped into nursing because I love people and I really wanted to help people and I wanted to improve the quality of their life by really teaching them how to optimize their health. And so nursing was a really easy route for me to do that. And so what was the catalyst then for you to shift into holistic health? Can you share a little bit about that journey with us? Sure. So holistic health, I'd always been interested about natural medicine, holistic healing, diet, what the earth has for us that we can utilize. But my true catalyst came when my son was diagnosed with an incurable disorder when he was three years old. And traditional medical care told us there was nothing they could do. This boy would eventually die and that uh, we would just manage his symptoms. And so when I was told that, I just thought, that's not acceptable. I'm not okay with that. And I'm going to do everything in my mama bear power that I can (laughs) utilizing this big brain that I have to change that reality for him. And he is going to be seven this October. He is living an amazing, full functioning life with no pain, zero symptoms like he had before. And he was the catalyst to me really diving in and finding just how much we can truly heal our body and how much is available to us in the world. How incredible. I mean, you think about the amount of people that just take the doctor's word for whatever it is they say and just believe, okay, well, I guess if they said it's I, there's nothing we can do, then there's nothing we can do. And they just leave the situation. And we've been conditioned to believe that these doctors and people of that kind of authority, they're the know-all beings. And we just put blind faith and blind trust into them. And I think that's fucking scary. It's and it's crazy scary. when you think about it. Look at your, you are living proof. Yes. If you had listened to the doctors, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And I see his light in this world. And every time I see him, I'm just in awe that this boy exists and that we believed enough for him when other people didn't, when the people we look up to and we trust to guide our lives and to keep us healthy and to have the answers and the solutions when they didn't believe we did. And to see that play out in our life every day, it's just such a reminder that anything is possible. And if you believe it, 
there's a way that you can achieve it. I love that. But you would think that, at least I would think that would be somewhat for some, for you who works in the medical profession and healthcare, that would be quite disheartening that someone of this stature has told you, nope, sorry, there's nothing we can do. To be part of that profession is like, you want to change it. You want to do something to shift the thinking. And I had this conversation with another woman who transferred out. She was a an award-winning surgeon. So she worked in the medical field as well. And she said she just got tired of the way things were done. She compared it to, it's like this massive cruise ship boat that we have to turn around. It takes a long time to turn that boat around. She compared that to the medical field and the healthcare industry to get change to occur is like trying to turn one of those massive boats around. It just takes forever. It is possible, I think, but I think you we need to get more people on board to start talking about it and to bring those to help bring the change about because that's horrible what you had to go through. And I mean, just because you took that on, as I know, because you and I have spoken before, what a struggle that was and how long that journey was for you and how labor intensive and heartbreaking and all of the things along the way, how tough that was. It's incredible. It speaks to your resilience and your courage and your strength. And the belief that, like you just said, we can heal our bodies. We have the power. But to not take everything that these people say at their word. Yes, yes. And that's such a a beautiful point that you pointed out and touched on is change is very slow in the medical field. And that is not only harmful to patients, but also it's such a flawed system. And how can we rely so heavily on a system that is so broken? Exactly. And we'll talk about that a little bit further on into the interview. I'm hearing a lot of through the women that I speak with who work in the field of medicine in particular, and I'm sure you could probably speak to this as well. As nurses, doctors, they're experiencing a very high rate of burnout, of course, due to the demands of the job. Why do you think that we are seeing such a high rate of burnout in women, more specifically because you work in healthcare, in the field of healthcare? So I think burnout can be contributed to many things. Short staffing is absolutely, has a big correlation to burnout. So being overworked at work, not feeling valuable or part of a team, working in an environment that has low morale. Often, like you mentioned earlier, practitioners are stuck doing what we're told to do. We don't have the ability to be creative or to really use our minds and troubleshoot to help people. It's this is what you're told to do. These are the medications we use. And this is how we do the plan of care. And so there's a lot of hopelessness that happens in that space. But I think another really big factor that's important to mention is self-care, especially for women. So working in the medical field, the hours are very long. Regular shifts are 12 to 13 hours, often longer. That doesn't include the commute time to get there. Often we don't get breaks to go to the restroom during the day or to even eat a snack or a meal. And then they come home and they jump right back into life where they're either caring for loved ones, they go into cooking, cleaning, and doing all the things that need to be done rather than taking time to really decompress and pour into themselves to fill their own cups back up. And that absolutely leads to burnout. 
I know that you and I, through previous conversation, again, are of similar mindset when it comes to the healthcare system. As you just mentioned, you're in the U.S., I'm up here in Canada, but we can both agree that the, the healthcare system in each of our respective countries are severely broken. Now, I'm also going to say that these failed or broken medical systems are part of, again, what's leading to the burnout among nurses, etc. I was just at the hospital last night, actually, with my wife. And just to illustrate this point, she was having pains and she knows it's to do with her pancreatitis. So I took her to the emergency room. We were there for an hour and a half. And she'd seen triage, so it's now waiting to go on to the next step. We're there an hour and a half. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go find out what's going on, how long roughly this is going to be. She said, well, the person before you who is next in line has been waiting four hours. So you're going to be at least another two to three hours. My wife said, forget it. We're going. I'm not sitting around this. But the lineup of people in the emergency room was just insane. It's like, how are people getting seen? And let's be honest, some people that show up in the emergency room don't really need to be in the emergency room. They're there for things that they shouldn't be, et cetera. Now, that's not to say that the people there yesterday, that was the case, but this is part of the damage, part of the break in the system. So I would love to hear from you. First of all, why do you think or what do you think part of the the cause is for the healthcare system being so broken? Well, first, I hope your wife is feeling better today. Thank you. (laughs) And I think it's a trickle effect from the top down that's happened. We aren't caring for people in a way that is sustainable for them. We're not empowering or educating them on how to take care of themselves at home or how to manage something that wouldn't require an emergency room visit. But also because of the system being as flawed as it is right now, people sometimes have to wait months before they can see their doctor. So if someone had pain and they thought, okay, well, maybe I can wait it out until I can get that appointment in three months, but then that pain becomes worse, they then show up to the ER or an ear infection that you have and it gets worse and worse. You can't always wait months to see someone. And so I think what's happening is Doctors are trying to see so many patients, but they're not truly giving true medical care. They're not teaching them how to eat differently, how to sleep appropriately, and how to manage their health in a way that allows them to truly be healthy. We It sounds awful, but we like to keep people sick and needing us because that's how we make money. Yeah, exactly. And I spoke to a woman who, she's a GP in the UK, and she left that to start her practice as a lifestyle medicine doctor. And she said, and I love this analogy, she said, what the medical system is now is the McDonald's of healthcare. She said, it's a drive-through method. People come in, they get 10 minutes, I think she said, or 15 minutes, I think it was 10 minutes with each patient because they've got to see as many as they can because I have to send it off to the insurance to get the claims, to get the money. She said, there's no possible way to sit and spend the time with a patient diagnose what's going on, talk about preventative or talk about how we approach the solution. It's just like, okay, come in, sit down. Okay, here's your problem. All right, here's a script. See you later on your way. Okay, next. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. It is. It's true. That's exactly how doctors see patients. There's a time frame they have. They walk in and in that situation, you can't truly diagnose somebody because you don't know 
what's happening. Maybe someone has a stomach yeah. ache. That's what they're there for. And you give them medications to manage this stomach ache. Maybe they're on something for acid or indigestion. All of these things play a role and have side effects in their body. But maybe that person truly has that stomach ache because they're going through a really crummy time of their life. And it's yeah. despair and sadness and all of these emotions sitting there. That and doesn't now, need medication. Yeah, instead of targeting the, the root of that pain, we've just given it something that it doesn't need. And so the person keeps coming back because we haven't even reached the problem. And then yeah. we send them off for tests and procedures that they don't need. And it just goes on and on. In your opinion then, Andrea, how do we find a way forward and out of this severely damaged and broken system and begin to find a solution for people? I mean, I really think the current system, the way it is, it's irreparable. So what the hell is the answer here? Like, how do we move forward? Yeah, I would love to just see it disintegrate <laughs> and then really be rebuilt on a foundation that is strong and one of integrity and purpose. But until that can happen, I think the way we move forward as a culture and a community is we look for healthcare providers that truly provide health care. And we go to them and we become educated and aware of how to take care of ourselves, how to take care of our families, how to utilize food and plant medicine to help our bodies. And when enough people are doing that, hospitals, doctors' offices, they're going to lose customers. Yeah. And losing customers means they're not making the money that they want to make. And yeah. so that will then force them to be creative, whether that creativity is having diet classes or hosting events where people can come and learn about health, that's what the people want. And I think eventually, if they lose enough money, they will become smart enough and forced to do things differently. Unfortunately, it always comes down to the bottom line. Usually, yeah. I shouldn't say always, but typically it comes down to the bottom line. And we need to start taking a proactive instead of a reactive approach to medicine. Yes, right? absolutely. It's fucking crazy. It's maddening. So how do you work with other healthcare professionals to adopt a holistic approach? And how do you see collaboration between practitioners contributing to the future of healthcare? So I think collaboration is the way of future healthcare. That's the way it should be. Otherwise, we are individuals making decisions without really knowing what anyone else is doing. And so when providers can collaborate, everyone's on the same page. We all know what the goal is. We all move forward together towards that goal and patients benefit more because they know they have more people on their team. They're not repeating the same story to 10 different providers. I love collaborating with physicians. I do it as often as I can. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to collaborate with a really wonderful nutritionist who's working with one of my patients on a specific diet plan. Right. And I love it because not only do I get to learn more during that process, but the patient has more people to ask questions to. Another person listened to what they said. So if that doctor is hard to reach, but you had five other people in that room collaborating on your healthcare, 
that's five other people that might have heard what that doctor said that you can then go to for the answer. And so I just, I love it. I do it as often as the care provider is willing to, because not all of them are willing to spend that time. Again, it's a time that you give to do that and not everyone can do that in their practice. Well, let's also be honest here. And there's still a lot of Western medicine doctors who do not believe or subscribe to the holistic approach when it comes to medicine either. And I think that you'd be very hard pressed to turn those people around. Yes. I've had many doctors who just are very against what I do and what I teach. But then when they have patients come in and they see changes, they can't deny what's happening because what they've done, I have a patient who was doing fertility treatments. And the doctor right. had done, gosh, I think maybe 12 cycles with this patient. She wasn't getting anywhere, wasn't collecting any eggs. And I said, well, let's try this. It's healthier, but doctors don't understand that. They understand pump them full of meds and make <laughs> it work. And so I told the doctor, this is exactly what I would do. And I wrote down every single step of the plan. And he said, well, we've tried everything else, so we'll just do it. During that cycle, this woman collected five eggs. She'd never gotten eggs before. And he said, that worked so well. I'm going to use that in my practice for other people. (laughs) And that's the hope. That's the goal of what we want to see. But it's a very rare occurrence. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) That is absolutely crazy. How do you see the future of healthcare evolving to incorporate greater emphasis on preventative care and lifestyle interventions? And what role do you see the holistic medicine approach playing in this evolution? Hmm. I see holistic healthcare being a very large player in this movement. And I think that by teaching people from a very young age how to make those good health decisions, we can really have a greater impact. Just like anything else in today's day and age, things advance and change very rapidly. The field of holistic healthcare is constantly evolving as well. So how do you stay up to date with the latest research, developments, innovative approaches to ensure that you provide the most effective and evidence-based care to your clients? So it's such a good question. Very important. I would say it's one of my best qualities But if you ask my husband, it's probably one of his least favorite is that my brain, it just never shuts off. It's constantly running. I'm always searching for things to learn or to implement and integrate into the world. And so in that, I research all the time. I'm reading medical journals, research articles, independent studies. I listen to podcasts from people who are just brilliant and inspire me and are doing the deep work of discovering things. And I take a lot of continuing education courses where I am just saturated in knowledge. I love it. And I think it will always be part of me. I just (laughs) love to learn. Now, of course, holistic healthcare recognizes the common threads of various aspects of our lives. How do you address the impact of lifestyle factors such as nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, and overall health and well-being with your clients. Mm, I love this. It's all interconnected. And I believe that the more people understand that, the healthier they will be in every area of their life, mind, body, and spirit. And I really love helping people connect those dots in their own life so that they can see that. Let's steer away from healthcare. We could do a whole episode, a couple episodes on this (laughs) because of 
all the shit, how broken the system is. But I want to speak a little bit now about your journey into the world of coaching. How long have you been a life and mindset coach? So I've been a life and mindset coach for three years. Okay. So in all the conversation I've had with women who are coaches, all of these women have been through their own personal struggles and journey before making that leap into coaching. And of course, we as human beings, we've all been through our personal struggles, our journeys. But what I've noticed, though, is that for the women who I speak to who are coaches, their personal struggles or journey were the catalyst for becoming a coach, for getting into the coaching world. Can you share a little bit about your own personal journey before you made the leap into coaching? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a very abusive household where I experienced physical, emotional, sexual, mental abuse until I was 15 years old. And so during that period, I really believed that something was wrong with me. I was flawed. I was unworthy, unlovable, and just couldn't perfect myself enough to earn my caregiver's love so that they wouldn't treat me poorly. And so in that place, I dove into nursing because that fulfilled a need I had to be needed and worthy and have purpose in life. And I really loved it. I believe that was truly a calling I had. But as I continued to move through life, like you said, challenges arise. I carried my baggage from my childhood and it continued to affect my life. I was pregnant and had twins my first pregnancy, and they died five days after they were born. Oh my gosh. I sunk into a very deep depression, again, believing I wasn't worthy and that what I wanted wasn't possible for me. It was possible for everybody but me. And there's this shame and guilt that layers on when you have those beliefs and when your situations in life confirm them to be true. And so Somehow, through my own interpersonal strength, I continued to push through. I was able to have two more children through fertility treatment. They were both high-risk pregnancies, and I almost died having my son. And after that, it was everything became clear to me. I realized that I'd married someone who was not a really wonderful partner. I probably had done it because he loved me and again, met the need that I had to feel loved, but it wasn't a relationship that I wanted to model to my kids. And so after coming home from the hospital alive, feeling so grateful to be alive, grateful to have two living children, I asked for a divorce and went through that entire process. It's tough. It's heavy. There's so much self-realization that comes out of it. And I really dove into gratitude and healing me. I changed the way I ate. I posted affirmations on every wall of my house, inside my cupboards, just everywhere, because I wanted to be saturated by positive words and beliefs. That was what I was choosing to move my life towards. And of course, life gives you opportunities to practice those new beliefs and to really sink into them. And so I did that. I met my now husband and knew that I couldn't get pregnant naturally, but surprisingly got pregnant. It was a very high risk pregnancy. It was twins. And when I found it, it was twins. It shook my brain. I was thrown into PTSD. I couldn't understand how I could deliver twins and they would die. And then now here I was pregnant with twins, but I didn't try to get pregnant. And so it was really tough and I really had to stay present and focused to not completely lose myself in that. And then my twins were born and they spent 106 days in the hospital. 
So they were there for a really long time. And again, tried not to go crazy and think of the worst case scenario of them dying like my first set of twins and came out the other side and continued to navigate life. And as I did that, I kept searching for people who had done it, people that had survived hardships and were living a joyful life, not just like, oh, I've survived hardships and I'm surviving still. I didn't want that. I wanted proof that life, real life existed after struggle, death, really hard stuff. And so I went to therapy. I did all the therapies available. It was insane. I took medications. They didn't work for me. I changed my diet. I worked on sleep. I did all the things, but it wasn't one thing that helped me. It was a million little things. And I thought, man, if I could just help one person in a similar situation, know that there's all of these things available to them and just show them because I didn't know what was available to me. It was searching and trial and error, but not everyone has the luxury of being able to search for the help that they need. And so I really went into life coaching and mindset coaching because I wanted to let people know from a personal perspective what was available to them. That's incredible. To overcome what you have overcome and then step into this because of the realization of how powerful the lessons were in all of that and to give back to others through stepping into coaching. It's so beautiful and so powerful. I applaud your strength and your courage. You are truly an inspiration, Andrea. Thank you. So how then have these experiences helped shape the Andrea you are today, both personally and professionally, would you say? Ooh, they have completely shaped who I am today. And I am so grateful for each experience, which sounds weird to think that I could have gratitude for the loss of my twins or the suffering. But I know without those experiences, I wouldn't have the heart that I have the empathy, the perseverance and drive, or the unique ability to connect with others who are going through a similar situation. And so because of that, I'm truly grateful for it. And I give grace (laughs) to myself every day. And so you should. We all need to do that. We all could take that lesson of giving ourselves grace and space around all the things that we deal with and go through. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other coaches, Andrea? Why would someone choose to work with you over someone else? So I think one big reason people choose me is because I've experienced so many things. And so a lot of people find me because they're in a very similar situation. I'm very transparent about my journey. And I think that allows people to feel safe, seen, and able to be completely vulnerable because they know I'm not judging them. I experienced a similar thing. I'm not sitting on a couch telling them they should do something that I've never done myself. And so I think people really appreciate that. But I also teach people how not to need me. And I think (laughs) that's what sets me apart from other practitioners. I love people. I love having my clients become lifelong friends. But I don't want to take care of them for the rest of their lives. (laughs) I want them to utilize me when they need me, but then to feel so confident in what I've given them and what I've taught them and shown them that they can then implement it in their life without me. That's my goal. You're just giving them the tools and guiding them how to use them, teaching them how to use them. Mm -hmm. What are three of the most common issues around mindset that you come across in working with your clients? Yes. 
Such a great question. So a big one is I'm not worthy. People believing that what they want is not possible for them or that what their goal is, it needs to be a struggle or a sacrifice or hard work to achieve it. Those are some of my biggest ones. And how do you, let's just pick one of those, any one of them. How do you help your clients overcome that when they come in with one of those issues? Yeah. So when they come in with any issue, I like to dig into why they believe that and where the belief came from. Because usually our beliefs come from something we experienced or were told as a child. So maybe growing up, for example, we'll just say believing it's not possible. Maybe somebody has a goal to make $100. But growing up, they lived in a home where their parents said, oh, no, only certain people can make money. You have to work hard. You have to do this. You can't have fun. It's just so hard to have money. So then this person doesn't believe it's possible for them to make money unless they work hard. They're miserable. They don't like what they do. And so when we can look at those beliefs, we can then challenge them. Is that belief true? Have you ever made money that wasn't hard? Did you ever laugh while you were washing someone's car and get paid for it? Yeah. So then once the belief is weak, you can completely collapse it. And then when it's collapsed, you can decide, is there room for any other possibility? Can you have fun and make money? Can you? Yeah, I can. Cool. Okay. So go do that. And then let me know how it works. And that's kind of what we do. We challenge a lot of the beliefs, then we modify them, and then move towards what our goal is. Love it. I want to continue on this path and mindset and get your take on this. I want to hear your thoughts. Could you speak to how important a part mindset played in helping you through your struggles and just how important mindset is to our daily routines and successes? Yes. Mindset is everything. It's truly everything. It's like change. Our mindset is the one constant. The thoughts that we think in our head, our brain is always running. And so if it's running all day long and we have negative thoughts or unhappy, unhealthy things moving through our head, we're going to be sad, heavy, not motivated to do things. But when we can focus our mindset on things that are happy and light and bring joy and fulfillment, we have a much easier time navigating stinky things when they come. So for me, mindset was everything. Becoming aware of the thoughts I was thinking, the effect they had on my actions. Because if I feel like life is miserable and there's no hope, well, then I'm just going to go sulk and sit in my bed in the dark and not talk to anyone because there's no hope or joy. But if I can imagine that joy is possible, I can still have a bad minute. I can still have a bad day or hour. But if I believe joy is possible, then maybe after I sulk for a little while or I'm grumpy, I'm going to move towards something that might bring joy because that is possible. And so that's what I do. I acknowledge the hard because it's real. We live in the world. So I see it. I don't pretend it doesn't exist. I sit in it. Then if I notice that I'm getting stinky in the crap that I'm sitting in, I'm like, okay, is this what you want? Do you want to be miserable? No. Okay. Then get up and do something else because it takes a lot of self-awareness though, right? Yes, it does. And that's the tough part. I think that's the part that most people have the problem with is putting in the work to work on that, to to get to that point of having that self-awareness and being able to work through it. 
Yes, but like adding salt to food, a little bit goes a long way. <laughs> so if you just start being aware, you don't have to be aware all the time. If you just started with one small area of your life where you're just curious, that curiosity will expand into everything you do. And then before you know it, it's saturated. It's everywhere. And you just do it all the time. It becomes a habit. I love that. What is one tip or takeaway that listeners could implement immediately to start reconditioning their mind for the success they want? I love this. So they can ask themselves how they want to feel and begin to notice if the things they're doing throughout their day are helping them reach the goal of how they want to feel, if it's delaying them from getting there, if it's preventing them. And once they know that, they can start to make decisions in their lives that bring them closer to the place that they want to be in until eventually they're there. And to just remember that baby steps are still steps. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your journey into the world of being an author. As mentioned, you are a six-time international best-selling author. I'm curious your thoughts on how important you think sharing yours or our stories is, and what are a couple of benefits of writing and sharing your story with the world? Mm, I love this. I think stories are life. They connect us and unite us. And without stories we truly wouldn't know where we came from or what other people experienced. And we wouldn't have that contrast to see differences in our own life where we can find that gratitude for their experience and our experience and learn from all of those things. So I think sharing stories is just such a beautiful thing that we can do. It also teaches people. There's a lot of wisdom in storytelling. If someone can learn something after hearing from someone else, it might diminish some of the suffering that they would go through, or they might learn how to fish quicker and easier and struggle less in life. And so I think sharing your story is a beautiful thing that we all have the ability to do. And we all do have a story. I don't care who you are on this planet. Every single one of us has at least one story that needs to be shared and heard because it will resonate with at least one person out there in the world. And yes. that's part of why we're all here. Yes. Andrea, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? So I would say multitasking. <laughs> multitasking and efficiency. I am very highly efficient all the time. My husband calls me a hummingbird. And... <laughs> Our kids laugh because I'll be standing right there talking and then there's a pause. So I will zoom somewhere else to switch the load of laundry or take the trash out, do something. And before they know it, I've done the task and I'm back and they just, where did you go and how did you get there so fast? <laughs> and so I think that's one of my superpowers. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Ooh, so success to me is a feeling. It's a knowing that you're exactly where you're meant to be doing what you were created to do and enjoying it. I love it. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Mm, thank you for asking this. That lasting change is possible. I was in such a place in my life where I was really depressed. I was hopeless and I'd become suicidal after the deaths of my first twins. And I didn't think life was worth living. I didn't think that the pain would ever go away or that it would end. I didn't know how to get help. 
I felt very lonely. And after learning that change was possible, I felt free, completely free to live a life I love and to just enjoy it. That is powerful and beautiful. Andrea, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Mm, Empowerment to me is self-sufficiency. It's truly tapping into intuition and allowing it to lead me in everything I do. And then allowing that behavior to be an example to others around me. That permission slip for others. I love it. Hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Hardworking. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? For the way I loved people and the way they felt when they were in my presence. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? That they are worthy of living a life they love and that it all starts with believing that to be true. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? My brain, my brilliant brain. <laughs> I knew brain. you were going to say that. I knew it. <laughs> yes. I praise it multiple times every day. <laughs> If Express it does something that gratitude. Great, yeah, I, I like will kiss my hand and smack it on my head. And yes, oh, you're so good. Thank you, brain. <laughs> I love that. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? More meaningful time with my family. What is your personal motto? Baby steps are still steps. <laughs> That's a good one. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Great question. No diagnosis is too final, past too messy, or future too uncertain to fully live a life they love. Beautifully said. Andrea, what is your why? So my why is not wrapped up like a normal why. My why is because I want to. (laughs) And it makes my heart sing. And I believe that God uniquely qualified me to do what I do. So that's why I do it. What challenge has shaped you the most in your life? I would say the death of my twins, my firstborn twins, shaped me the most because it really inspired me to keep going, to stand up for what I wanted, which was to become a mom and to be a great mom. And in that It really was the catalyst to everything in my life that changed after. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? This is a good one. I learned that deep healing is truly possible. I'd healed so much in my life from past losses and traumas. But this year, after losing a loved one, I realized just how much I'd grown and healed. I behaved, coped, and grieved in such a different way that it was eye-opening and just truly inspiring to me. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I would say Kate Middleton because she just has this look about her that is so pure and innocent, welcoming, happy. She's smiling and she's very passionate about mental health with children and families. And I think that's something so beautiful to be in the public eye And in a life where you really could step back and just enjoy the fruit of the blessings you have, but she's out there on the front lines really petitioning for mental health. And I think that's really admirable. It is. It's such an important cause that I think we still have so much work to do 
in terms of shining a light on it and bringing it to the forefront. I think it still gets swept under the rug like it's a dirty little secret and we don't talk about it enough and we need to start talking about it more to shine the light on it and bring awareness to it. Yes, absolutely. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Well, I would say sometimes life is hard and things don't make sense, but you're really strong. Keep your head up and admire the woman you are as you walk out of the rubble. <laughs> Love that. What a vision. Lastly, Andrea, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I would say you are worthy and capable of living a life you love. No diagnosis is too final, past too messy, or future too uncertain to fully live a life you love. And it can start today. I love you. And I know there is light even in your darkest days. Beautifully said and beautiful way to end the interview. Andrea, thank you so much for being here with me today. I am so grateful that we finally got this to happen. We had the opportunity to sit down and share. And I appreciate you allowing me into this space to share with you in your personal story and your journey. And it has been an absolute honor. You are truly a courageous, beautiful and inspirational soul. I'm so grateful to be connected to you. And thank you for being a member of the Empowerography community. And thank you for taking the, and making the time to be here with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. I appreciate you. Thank you. Have a nice Once, day. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Andrea Blint. She is a registered nurse, a holistic health care practitioner, a six-time international bestselling author, an international speaker, and a life and a mindset coach. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.